0: So, oh, uh, today, actually today, with a few more, a few more minutes, is Yom Ha'atzmaut? It's the day of Israel's independence, and therefore, um, we decided to talk a little bit about Israel, and to give kind of like, you know, I think it's a little bit ambitious to try to give the entire history of Israel in an hour, uh, but... Uh, we'll try to do somewhat of uh, of an overview of the centrality or the importance of Israel in in Jewish philosophy and Jewish practice and Jewish thought, you know, in, in the Jewish mind, really, the Jewish consciousness. You know, the, Jerusalem is as at the center of our prayers, and it has been for for twenty five hundred years. Uh, Israel is in the yearnings of every Jew. Every every Jew, it's our prayers. You know, that that's what it has been. <clears throat> so. I want to talk a little bit about that and, and what, what the significance is, what the meaning of it, and also a little bit about kind of the history of Israel. And I want to highlight some important pieces, and also bring it not only uh, from times immemorial, but also in modern in the modern state of Israel and Zionism, and kind of uh, also you know dealing with some of the major themes that happens with the Jewish people in Israel, uh, but also some of the major uh, compromises that were made uh, during the foundation of the state to make sure that there's unity. You know, because you have so many different Jews from so many parts of the world, you know, converging upon Israel and a lot of a lot of very important decisions were made, a lot of compromises were made to make sure that everyone's happy and they don't have civil war, which would be disaster. Because as we know, if we learn Jewish history, we find that civil war has indeed happened in Israel and it was a disaster and it happened more than once. Uh, and if we think about the idea of Israel and the idea of Jewish unity and today's the day, you know, today's the day where we celebrate it. Uh, and it brings Jews together. You know that's one, the one thing more than perhaps uh, you, know, you know, perhaps more than any other that unites Jews across the world, across different uh, uh, the spectrum of observance or even affiliation or or uh, Jews. You know, what do we feel? What do we feel proud of? You know, Israel is our little baby. You know, we may may have never visited it. We may not know much about the history. We can't speak Hebrew, whatever. But we're still proud of Israel. You know, that's a very important thing for for global Jewish unity. Uh, so, so let's first start off with kind of the, uh, the classical uh, um, perspective or place that Israel has uh, in, in Jewish thought. Uh, so we'll start with the beginning of the Torah, Genesis, right? So uh, you read Genesis, and you know that the, Genesis is the first book of the five books of, we call, of the Torah. And um, the very first commentary of Rashi on the Torah, on Genesis, He asks a fundamental question. And he says, essentially, the question is like this If you were to take the entire Torah and it's on a Google Doc or it's on a Microsoft Word document or uh, some sort of word processor, I don't know what processor people use here, and you would just take Genesis and say, control all and then just delete it. Like, what would happen? You know? How would that change everything? Because essentially, the book of the Torah is a book of instructions for Jews. So it is. You open up Genesis and you look for instructions, and you know what? You don't find any. Well, you may find some. You find be fruitful and multiply. You find circumcision, even though circumcision is repeated later. In fact, in this week's partial, it's repeated. And you find another one of not eating a certain part of the animal, the sciatica. That's it. 12 partios, 12 sections, enormous detail and dialogue and narrative. And where's the instruction? So Rashi asks the question, we're about to start Genesis, we're about to start the Torah, this is the book of instructions. Why do we, we just start from where the mitzvahs start, from when the instructions start, the middle of Exodus, we should start from the story of, okay, now get yourself uh, uh, the animals and, and prepare for the Exodus and make the matzah and the whatnot. That's the question that he asks. So he says, the answer is false. The reason why we have to have that whole narrative, the Genesis, and Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Noah and all those stories, is about Israel. Why? Because the culmination of the Torah, the Jewish people, once we have the Torah, right? We got the Torah, and then where do we go after we got the Torah? To Israel. The nation that is going to be formed and molded by the Torah, that exists in its purity in Israel. Thus, we have to know all of this as a prerequisite because this is our Deed, so to speak. The deed that we have of Israel is Genesis. And the story about Abraham and God telling Abraham, you all have Israel. God telling Isaac and Jacob repeated again and again. Israel is ours. So think about that. What does that tell us about the importance of Israel as the Jewish country or the Jewish place, the Jewish home in Jewish thought? It tells us that we will dedicate 25% of the Torah and every word is cherished. We know that there's some laws that are taught because of one letter. You know, every word of the Torah, every letter is cherished. Every letter is very important. We're going to dedicate all that to say that the Jews have Israel. How important is Israel in uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the Jew, in Jewish life? Not only that. We talked about mitzvahs. Who wants to guess how many mitzvahs are only applicable in Israel? I don't know the exact number, but I know for sure it's more than a hundred. We're talking about like twenty, twenty-five percent of the mitzvahs only apply in Israel, right? Yes, that's it. You can't do them. There's so many mitzvahs you can you cannot many mitzvahs you cannot do in the United States. A lot of them you still as an example, the laws of Shemitah. Or Yovel or building in the temple. It's a nice example. Right? You can't build it in Houston. Ah, too far. I'm not going all the way to Israel. Let's build a local one. <laughs> it's gotta be in Israel, you know? Uh, Many, many, many mitzvahs are all the agricultural laws, uh, all the laws of purity and impurity, all the sacrificial laws, all the ritualistic laws that are surrounding uh, the temple, all in Israel. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we find that our forefathers, that kept the Ketit Torah. This is one of Dave's favorite topics the idea of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob keeping the entire Torah even before it was given. Right? <laughs> your favorite topic?
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting into this.
0: So, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kept the entire Torah, as we have many, many sources in Jewish literature that say that they did, we find that Jacob married two sisters. And the Torah says very explicitly that a man cannot marry two sisters. You can't. There's only, there's only one way. There's only one loophole. If you marry one of the sisters and then she dies, you can marry her sister. Right? But if you divorce her or whatever, you can't marry her sister. So Jacob is married to Leah and concurrently married to Rebecca. How is that possible if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob observed the entire Torah? The answer is that even though Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob observed the entire Torah, only in Israel. Only in Israel did they observe the entire Torah. Thus, let's do the mathematics. Who did Jacob marry first? He married Leah first. Thus, who encroached upon the transgression of marrying two sisters? Which marriage? Marriage of Leah, the marriage of Rachel. Rachel. Of Rachel, that's right. Uh-huh. Thus, what happens? They come back to Israel, and they're on the doorstep of Israel. So, who dies? Who dies right on the doorsteps of Israel? When Jacob is coming back with his family, yeah. as they're about to get into Israel, Rachel dies. Rachel. Why? Because he cannot be living with both of them in Israel. Because in Israel, he keeps the entire Torah. What is, how crazy is that? Dad, how crazy is that? Pretty crazy, huh? What does this tell us? It tells us that even the observance of Torah. Right, obviously, before it was different. Now it's different, um, but even the observance of the Torah that Abraham is only in Israel. There's something really special about the land of Israel, even going back to the times of Abraham, like even before the Torah, before the conquest of Israel. Uh, uh, very interesting. Another another thing before we before uh, another cool another cool little anecdote about Israel, a little vignette, a little interesting uh, tidbit about Israel. We're told, this is, again, in many sources, not in one particular source, but in many, many different sources, the idea of, of God's influence. You know, um, in, in Jewish theology, we don't say that, you know, God created the world and then you know, God's off to other things, bigger and better things. You know, we have the idea of God sustaining the world. The idea of God created, but if we're, you know, but God didn't create something that to go on autopilot. It has to be continually sustained. We call it is called influence in the words of um, in the words of 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 Jewish uh, uh, scholarship God's influence God's hashpa'ah, and it says that there's angels or certain spiritual forces that are filters, filters. Thus, God's influence to a particular country or nation or state goes through a certain angel. That's the filter. And if you ask the question, this is, I know we're getting very off the topic of visual, but um, if you ask the question of how come people from different countries have different, you know, stereotypical characteristics, you know, people from Germany are super organized and, you know, people from like Greece and Italy are super chilled out, like, let's take a five hour siesta, we'll see you at four, (laughs) right? Yeah, there's certain stereotypes and obviously it's stereotypes, generalizations, of course, but we could for sure agree that there are differences. Where do those dis- differences come from? Just because you live in a different place, you know, more, you know. According to the Torah, it's because that every angel, i.e. every filter that God has to give over, to be the conduit that gives over God's sustaining lifeblood to that country goes through a certain angel. Thus, they, it has a separate kind of quality. Plus, a very interesting idea. That like the French and the, I don't know, the uh, uh, South Africans and the Australians and The people from Chile, Chile, right? They all have different qualities because the influence that they get from God is through different angels. Like, we meet the angel of of Esau. Who remembers the story of angel of Esau? Jacob is battling with the angel of Esau, right? Esau is the the nation of, of, of Edom. They have an angel. And somehow, however this works, but Jacob is battling with that. Who is the influence over Israel? Who is the filter through Israel? Huh? No, that. hashtag no filter. Right. That's right. That's absolutely right. Israel has no filter, right? Like Versus says, the eyes of God are constantly watching Israel. Israel is kind of God's little baby. You know, this is God's place. This is a place where God's influence is there without any intermediaries, without any spiritual forces being the pipelines. And and that's what it, and that's the significance of of Israel spiritually. Wherein Israel is a physical place. You go there. There's mountains and valleys and there's deserts and there's trees and there's a climate and whatnot. It's it's, a, it's regular country You know, if you were to just look at a picture, maybe you'll see something that will tell you about Israel. Maybe maybe not. You know, but it's a physical land. And the temple was a physical building. And Jerusalem is a city. It's a real city. You know, with you know, traffic cops. You know, it's a, it's a regular city. Uh, it's a physical entity. Yet, it has a spiritual quality. Uh, and and the idea of, of of Jewish spirituality is where something, you know, you take a lulav and you shake it, well, it's a branch, and you're shaking an etrog, and that's a fruit. And, but it's physical themes. But in the right context, it has a spiritual element. You know, if you eat matzah, get in a second, if you eat matzah on Passover, right? You're eating food. It's food, but it's a mitzvah. How does that work? How does a physical thing take on a spiritual nature? That's Jewish spirituality. Wherein a physical activity or physical reality is uplifted into having a spiritual uh, context. Shabbat. What do we do on Shabbat? We sit around. We have massive meals. We (laughs) eat mountains of challah. We eat steak. That's what we do. That's what Shabbat is. Rabbi, that's a Mitzvah, that's... Yes. Right? What what do we do before we eat any food? We make a blessing. What do we do with the blessing? The blessing is assigning this physical activity and now giving it a new spiritual reality. That's the idea. It's bridging this gap. It's taking the soul, the spiritual, and influencing the body, the physical. Thus, Israel, despite being a physical land, and it's going to have its own problems, and we'll go a little bit about the history of Israel, you know, we'll talk about what happened when the conquest and what happened with the civil wars and what happened with the problems, you know, but it is spiritual as well. It has the spiritual nature. That's what we've talked about. God, God being, uh, this is, is this is God's land. You know, This is the place that despite being physical and having all the hangups that come along with being a physical reality with problems like every other country, it's the place where God's influence It could be most felt. It's a place where this physical reality has uh, a spiritual nature to it as well. Dave. Now, let's go back to one of the comments you made about um, people with certain characteristics living in the same lands. Was this done during the uh, dispersion after the Tower of Babel? Did did Hashem do that on purpose? Um, Well, well, that seems to be the formation of the uh, 70-nation thing you know we have a, a a a theme that's streamed uh throughout uh, many aspects of Jewish philosophy that they have 70 nations 70 languages and Joseph speaks 70 languages and the members of Sanhedrin that speak all 70 languages and, right. And, right so that that that's the idea that started at the tower of babel um i would guess that there's uh, just like there's there's 70 angels over you know Governing There's the seventy. The yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that. I'm, 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 okay with that. I'm, I'm not sure. I can't think of any source off the top of my head. What but is, it, so
1: we'll just call, know, it more than Marvin <laughs> we'll call it yeah, the seventy languages. We call Yeah, Marvin's yeah, story. that's true. But even,
0: even today, the languages aren't. Most of them are not original languages. Most of them are variants. You know, mixtures. You know, People Chaucer mixes Latin with German with French, and you have English. You know. Okay.
1: So every single land, Rabbi, has an angel sort of assigned to it. Yeah, like angelic
0: Israel. pipes, that's okay. right. Absolutely. Every other one. So that, that's why Israel's so important. So what happens? So Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, they had their promise that they're going to get Israel. Right? The land of Israel is part of the vision and the mission of the Jewish people. So uh, they're in Egypt, of course. Uh, they, uh, they have the Exodus. They spend how many days preparing for getting the Torah? 49 days after they left Egypt, 50th day to get the Torah. What do you need to be prepared to get the Torah? 49 days. How long do they spend preparing to go to Israel? 40, 40 years. years. The entire process of what happens in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the desert, in the wilderness, is a preparation. And you know what kind of life they're living? They live this supernatural life. Their food is delivered to them via parachute every day, wow. right? Uh, their clothing grows with them, right? Uh, it, never, it never gets tarnished or get, gets, you know, get, it, never, it, never, it never gets uh, uh, worn out. Uh, they're surrounded by these clouds that flatten mountains and kill predators. And at night there's wow. this fire. Like, it's, it's an tr- incredible existence, right? They are soaking up a certain quality of a nation, right? They have Moses there. Direct instruction from Moses, right? It's the the purest generation, despite they had some flaws, of course. But this is the generation that's called the Dor De'ah, the generation of knowledge, because they got it straight from Moses. So they're living this kind of utopian, supernatural existence. Forty years later, Moses dies. There's a new leader, there's Joshua. Moses never makes his way into Israel. He prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. In fact, he prays in total 515 times to get admitted into the land of Israel. God says no. And after 515 times, Moses stops because God tells him, if you pray one more time, I'm going to have to give in to you, but then I'll have to destroy the world. Moses accedes, Moses dies, they enter Israel. What do they find in Israel? What's the nature of the people living in Israel at the time of the beginning of the conquest? Well... Yes. No, so we're talking no. about thirty-one different kings or different tribes uh, uh, seven different nations. Right? It's it, chaos. Right. They begin a war of conquest. It takes them seven years to gain a foothold, another another seven years to divvy up the land. But essentially for another four hundred years, they're going to be living in a state where the Jewish people are there, they're the majority, the majority you know, of the population there, but they're going to have constant skirmishes with their neighbors. Uh, they don't have Jerusalem yet. Uh, they have the Philistines, the, the, the nemesis of, 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 the, of the Jewish people at that time, uh, the group of Philistines. By the way, that name will be revived uh, as the land of Israel, as Palestine, uh, was revived. actually revived twice. It was revived by Hadrian when he renamed Israel, which was called Judah at the time, he renamed it Philistinia, after that, extinct uh, Philistines that existed in the times of the Judges that Solomon battled with, and then uh, uh, in in the British Mandate, in the in, after the after the, the um, after the uh, after the World War One, when they when they finally captured Israel out of the hands of the Ottomans, uh, they renamed it Palestine as well, reviving that once again that dead name. Thus, the Palestinians today have literally zero to do uh, with the 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 Palishtim that existed in the times literally nothing you know absolutely nothing it's total exactly you know they're they're Jordanians they're not part of this it's not like you know but there's a misconception that's breeded well the well the Palestinians or Palestine has been a name associated with this land for a long time but it's not has not been contiguous hasn't been ongoing. Uh, so that's where they are so they get into Israel and they have this kind of rocky couple hundred years and it's, it's you know it's like unfortunate where 500 years of Jewish history is you know all narrowed down to one soundbite but that's what it was you know it was this struggling time where uh, they had no king uh they had prophets they had judges but there wasn't uh it, the 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 completion of the Jewish conquest and the Jewish kind of uh, settlement in the land was not complete. Uh, then we meet a fellow by the name of Saul, and Saul's going to start to change everything. Right? Saul's become king. Uh, he's not going to last that long, but he's going to usher in a new form of leadership for the Jewish people that's going to be around for hundreds of years, and that is the monarchy. Unfortunately, Saul is the wrong guy for the job, and after two years, that mantle is that given over to King David. And we find this again and again and again, another pattern in, uh, in Jewish leadership, but also in Israel. And we'll show this again in modern, in modern Israeli uh, Zionism. We find that the people that are perhaps, arguably, the least or, or the worst candidates to be the leaders are the ones who are going to be the leaders. It means the leadership in <laughs> Israel is oftentimes going to come from very unexpected sources. I have a question. Yes. I remember my
1: father said, I never heard Israel before 1948 when I was a little girl, but I always heard Thomas Mann, and part of my family, I was Yeah.
0: That's what it was Israel. called. It was called Palestine. Yeah, I yeah. So I, I had. But I never so. heard. Yeah. As I said, I heard in 1948
1: when Israel was kind of created. But so why we're talking now about Israel, four or five, a years ago? Yeah,
0: because, um, because it, it, we're talking about the land of Israel. They had different names. It was called Canaan. That yeah, that was that was a name for it as well. We're talking about the land of Israel. That's today the land of Israel. Uh, it goes under on, under many names, like under the, like under the British mandate from uh, I think it was 1917 to 1948. Uh, it was called Palestine. Then it was called Israel. It was called Judah for a while. It was called Judah and Israel it means the the well, well you know the, the yeah the southern kingdom of Judah the northern kingdom of Israel. So it has multiple names. Uh, uh, in fact, different parts of Israel are named after the. Uh, when Joshua settled, or at least uh, for the time being, settled the land, they took it and split it into 12 different parts. Thus, every, every, every one of the tribes got a portion of Israel, and that, that portion was named after that tribe. So, the tribe of Don uh, was called the Don. The Don region today is still after that. Uh, but Judea and Samaria, if you ever hear that term, uh, we don't call it the West Bank of the Jordan river is called Judea and Samaria why because the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Shimon, right Sam- samaritans uh, uh, that, that those that's that was the part of Israel that was allotted to them thus the jewish name go ahead, name, go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, i heard this sometime ago and i don't remember who told but it's stuck here that the Muslims,
1: uh, when the palestinians say that they are that this is their land they said that they don't have the better key to pronounce. They were calling themselves a, uh, you know, uh, Philistines. Yeah, something like that. They never were called Palestinian. Now they probably know how to say it, but for years they didn't put the pronounce. The Arabs can't pronounce the peace Palestinian.
0: It's called the beast process.
1: It's
0: the peace process. It's called the beast process. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, so it's interesting. But I, I'm not going to try to say that there were no Arabs living in Israel. Of course there were. Arab lots of, uh, And many of them were, were also itinerant, were gone. You know, they were, they were landowners, but they weren't living there. In fact, um, in, in modern times, even 100, 150 years ago, Israel was a very barren land. There was no one, almost no one living there. Uh, very few people living there it wasn't producing anything it was it was like almost an afterthought really for for about 2000 years you know from the time uh, of of the destruction of the first temple of the second temple a couple hundred years later once the jews kind of left and went to babylon went to north africa went to persia went to europe Jew- israel kind of it was in you know was in was in disrepair so they tried to re, you know, that the, then it was captured by the, the the Muslims, and then there was the Crusades over Israel, and a lot of things happened. Uh, but Israel as a vibrant, uh, a viable land, it, you know, we don't find till 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 this past uh, century. And you had some Jews living there. You had some, of course, yes, some Arabs. There was always Jewish people, a small contingency, but there, there's always been some some Jews uh, living in Israel. Of, not 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 major. There were major efforts, let's say, in the 13th century, Jews to move to Israel. In the 17th and 18th century, the first Yishuv, there's lots of Jews that went there. Of course, in the 19th century and, of course, the early 20th century, that obviously uh, picked up in a major way. Uh, but yes, I would agree, there were lots of Arabs there, and there were some Jews there as well throughout the times. However, the land of Palestine as, uh, as a nation, and even... Uh, Arabic nationalism at large is a brand new thing as well, you know. Who is the person that formed
1: the Arab
0: nation? What Arab nation? How
1: did these Arabs come about?
0: Had an Arab, well, uh, Arabia, Arabia is a region. I mean, is, there's Arabs and then there's Muslims, right? Yeah. Uh, right, so the Arabs are, there are some Arabs that are not Muslims. They're Christians. There's Christian Arabs. There's Druze in Israel, the The Druze, the Druze, They're Arabs, but they're not Muslims. And there's some Muslims that are not. As a lot of American Muslims, there's the Turk. Turkey is a Muslim country, but they're not Arabs. They're they're Turks. They're different ethnically, different people. The biggest Muslim country in the world is Indonesia, Mm -hmm. and they're very, very, very far from being Arab. But Islam started uh, by an Arab was started by an Arab merchant in the seventh, early seventh century. Uh, Therefore, it gained very, very popular. Uh, in, in that part of the world, thus it 's associated with Islam, the religion and the and the people are are linked together uh, but Arabs even before Islam ever shows up, we find in the Talmud accounts of of arabs there were lots of nomads n- n- nomads and wandering and living in tents and fathering lots and lots of babies you know uh, that, uh, that 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 ki- that personality that you know that 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 kind of uh, ethnic uh, um, um, individual is found even in sources way before Islam. So that's, uh, so the the Arabs are people that are native to Arabia.
1: So, um,
0: so yeah, so we're saying, uh, a pattern that we'll find in leadership of Israel is that we'll find that someone like King David is who was considered to be an afterthought, you know, and he had six brothers and he was the weakest of them all. You know, he was this redhead that everyone would grab his head and do this to him. But that was the high point. And you have 80 years through the times of King Solomon, King David's son, which is considered the epitome of the Jewish people. The Jewish people had it all. They had it spiritually, they had it physically, they had a monarchy, they had peace, they had prosperity, they had stability, everything that you would want. And it was so good, in fact, for the Jews at that time, that they didn't accept converts. Someone came to convert to the Jewish people. You know what they would say? Sorry, buddy. It's too good for us, right? And we're worried that maybe there's an insincere conversion because, you know what? King David and King Solomon figured it out, that the, the, the nation was peaceful, was prosperous, it, was, it had everything. So it, anyone comes to convert, well, who says they're coming because they genuinely wanted to join the Jewish people? Maybe they just want all the goodies that come along with this wonderful, prosperous nation that, uh, that, that existed at the time
1: so very difficult to become a Jew. Well this in my family. My grand married her lady. <coughs> and on her own with an ask, she decided to become a Jew. And a Jew and she's uh, And she had to convince the rabbi who so finally yes. decided yeah. to take her yeah. it took them three years. So now it's a dilemma. They want to marry because they were not very, very young. You know, he was uh, four years old and she was thirty-seven. Months. Very bad. So finally, they decide to get married, and she was still following And she to she's a better of right? <laughs> Was it, a, was, <laughs> it orthodoxy version? You know? was it an Orthodox
0: conversion? Was it an Orthodox? Do you know
1: I that? You know what? I even didn't ask. I was so taken by this woman yeah. and her whole family who took this so beautifully, you know, agreed And it uh, was just our older brother. This is the same thing. Go ahead. So, you know, good luck. Mm-hmm. So now the new boy is a Jew, mm-hmm. and he probably says it, and he goes to Jewish school.
0: The, uh, hmm. but, uh, the nice Very the, interesting. The so, um, they didn't want to up, huh? well, they did. That's not, that's not what. That's not what they. They want in converse. It's just they were never can never sh- be sure that they could verify that someone wasn't wasn't. Wasn't uh, insincere about it, Rabbi? Either was way, this a, a spiritual time? Oh yeah, time. It was time. King David read the books of Psalms. Read the read the books of of of, of Proverbs. Yeah, the books of, of the books that were in at that time. by King David. These were intensely spiritual people. These were people. These were prophets. Uh, remarkable, remarkable individuals. This is when they built. They built. They, uh, David captures Jerusalem. It actually purchases the Temple Mount. Uh, finally, all of Israel, all of Greater Israel, is in Jewish hands. Uh, He doesn't get to build a temple. King Solomon builds a temple, and things are fantastic. And that lasted 40 years. That's it. Solomon dies, and we find the first civil war, basically. It wasn't really a war. It was more like a standoff or uh, a Cold War, but we find a schism that changed the course of Jewish history. Solomon dies. His son, Rechavam, becomes the king. He makes a few poor choices. He decides to uh, tax the, pe- the, the people that live in the north part of Israel. Remember, Jerusalem is in the southern Israel. So you have people that feel like they're out of, you know, they're, they're out of place. They're like in the rural parts, and they don't feel like a, that, that intense association with the people in the capital. And instead of trying to court them, he makes the, the fatal flaw of taxing them very strongly. They secede. And from then on, for the next 180 years, we have two kingdoms. Kingdom of Israel in the north, Kingdom of Judah in the south. And in fact, the Kingdom of Israel in the north descended into idolatry and sin very, very rapidly. They built temples to idols, and eventually they were destroyed by the Assyrians under the leadership of Sancheirev. And they're gone. Where are they? These are the ten lost tribes of Israel. Have you ever heard of the ten lost tribes? That is the kingdom of Israel in the north. They have disappeared and they maybe appear every once in a while or claims from people... Then went to Babylon? Babylon's later. Later? <clears throat> yeah. So we find this tragedy. It, it, it's, it's, it, it, there's all the words to describe it. You have Israel and you have disunity. You have Israel and you have discord. We have Israel and we have schisms. We have Israel, we have factions. And what happens? Disaster. Destruction and exile. And And in fact, we have a significant portion of the Jewish people are now gone. We don't know where they are and there's debates on whether they'll ever come back and who knows. So that, that is an example of what happens. Israel, like we said, it's a spiritual land and it's very welcoming to Jews provided that they're living as Jews should. Once they decide to do idolatry, once they decide to have internal fighting, once they are not living in the state where they need to be, when they are moving in different paths where there's not unity, that's it. You have no right to live in Israel. You're gone. They disappeared. The ten lost tribes are gone. A couple hundred years later, we find the structure of the first temple and the first exile to Babylon. What happened is that the southern kingdom of Judah, they had more righteous teams, they had righteous leaders, they had uh, the temple, they were protected from the disaster, the spiritual and then eventual physical disaster destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, and uh, they survived, however, they didn't survive entirely, and eventually the Babylonians came and they destroyed the temple and they sent the Jewish people packing east. Uh, the Jewish people will go east. I'm doing, going over a lot of history, literally very, very fast, because I want to get to modern Israel uh, before we're done here. So the 808. Uh, so they are going to Babylon, um, uh, and eventually they come back under the leadership of Ezra, right? So they have a 70-year intermission, and they come and rebuild the temple. But this is the second temple. The second temple is very different than the first temple. And from then on, you have the community in Israel being a minority. The vast majority of Jews decided to stay in Babylon it was a very hospitable place for the Jewish people, and in fact, the Jewish people will be living in Babylon from about the year 400 before the Common Era till this most, common, this most recent century. Like in the 1950s, 1960s, there are still even today there are still small groups of Jews living in, in Baghdad, living in all these places, in the Far East, uh, not Far East, in, in the uh, Near East, uh, in, in the places where the Jewish people went to originally after the destruction of the First Temple. In fact, we open up the Talmud. You find all these discussions about about the, the different communities. So you have Israel suddenly not it's the center; it's the spiritual center of the Jewish people. It's where the temple is. You know, it's where people converge upon when they make a pilgrimage to Israel during the holidays, during Passover. But it's no longer the place where the vast majority of Jews live. So we find all these fascinating discussions and and interactions that would happen between these different communities. It's kind of like you have today. You know, you have two centers of of uh, of, of of Jewish life and vibrancy, two major centers, of course, Jews living everywhere, but in the United States and in Israel. And they're kind of different. You mean Israeli Jews, and they're, they're, they're different. And you have interactions, and that's very interesting. And it's kind of fascinating. And you have a lot of stories in the Talmud. What would be when you have the Jewish people, you know, someone from Israel came to Babylon, and they would like ask them all these questions, and they would talk to them. And it was like, a, and it, it was like these two cultures that would, that would interact, and very interesting things would result. Uh, Second Temple is ultimately destroyed. Why is the Second Temple destroyed by the Romans? So it's actually interesting. You look at the foes, the central foes of the Jewish people, and it's constantly changing. You know, Israel, we're here. We haven't, you know, we have uninterrupted. We've existed since Moses. We know the names of all the people. Like, this is a continuous uh, nation. But then, first, we started off, we had the Assyrians, and then we met the Babylonians, and then we met the Persians, and then we met the Greeks, and then we met the different kinds of Greeks. We have the Macedonian Greets and the Assyrian Greets and the Ptolemite Greets and the Seleucids and, and then they're gone and then the Romans and the Romans are gone and the Byzantines and the Byzantines and the uh, you know, every couple hundred years we meet a new foe. But we're, you know, we survive remarkably. Uh, in the first century, what happened? So there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of backstories back here, but the chief thing that happened that tore Israel apart was once again, disunity. Factionalism. Infighting amongst, amongst the Jewish people. You meet the Sadducees, you meet the Hellenites, you meet the uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 Hasmoneans, the late Hasmoneans, and how they invited Roman. In. Then you have the different groups, and the different fightings, and the, and 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 no no uh, unity amongst the people. The Romans step foot in; they never leave. There is a escalation, several escalations, uh, once again, the Jewish people splinter even further. Christianity starts off as once as one of these splinter groups of Judaism, but not only that, you have them. We said we mentioned already the Sadducees. We have groups called the uh, the Baitusim, We have other groups called the Sicarii. A lot of different groups that exist among the Jewish people. We have the Biryonim. All these groups. Obviously, the Pharisees I we hear about. Huh? I <laughs> I'm making them up as we go along. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and that just creates this, uh, this, uh, this melting pot of so many different groups and so much, so much infighting, and it just collapses. There was a revolt in the year 66, and eventually the Romans make their way down south from Syria, sacking town after town, destroying towns, uh, uh, cru- crucifying thousands upon thousands, right? killing, raping men, women, child, blood flowing. Like rivers and temples destroyed, uh, Masada goes down in the year seventy three, and in you know, and if you were to look at the Jewish people at that time, you'd say, "Hey, it's over," you know. How, old so, did Rome, um, Israel, how long did Rome have Israel? They ruled Israel almost continually um, from the year sixty three before the Common Era, when Pompey arrives, right. uh, and Pompey uh, is brought in actually to mediate a dis- uh, disagreement between. The two sons of uh, Queen Shlomzion. She was the last of the queens of of the Hasmonean dynasty. Uh, they, he's brought into Mediate, and once the Romans come in, they never leave. It's like uh, the overly invasive in laws, you know. They come in, they settle down, and they put down their badge. And we're not leaving. <laughs> we're moving in, you know. And you try to get them out, and they say, "No, no, no, no. We're here to stay." Uh, so, can I relate? So, um, but with one exception in the year 132 we have the Bar Kokhba revolt Uh, and and the Jews took over for a a brief uh, three years uh, and that uh, did not end well and in fact the Hadrian came back and he squelched the rebellion in a terrible way and the fall of Betar and the killing of the ten martyrs and just disaster uh, but from this point on, it's kind of like, you know, when you look at, a, at, a, uh, at an earthquake or a tsunami, there's the initial uh, event, and then there's the reverberations that can happen you know, much later. So we have uh, like a 300-year like a pattern of different factions and different groups and different fighting and different disunity. And then you have massive explosions, temples destroyed, the Jewish people tried to regroup and try to get back together, and they do so successfully, but then you have another one Eventually, the Jewish people kind of pivot their way out of Israel. Uh, it, Hadrian makes Israel and Jerusalem the first Yudhen Rat city in the world, first city that no, no place for Jews, Jews were not allowed to go into Israel, uh, into Jerusalem. There's only one day a year that Jewish people were allowed to go into Jerusalem, um, and that was on Tisha B'av on the ninth day of Av, because that was a day of mourning. So, in 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 a spiteful way, so you can, you can go in. But you don't just to cry and commiserate over your state. You know the once mighty nation of Israel, the once you know proud temple that we had, the most beautiful building of the world, remarkable. Now it's a pile of rubble. But as we are wont to do, the Jewish people constantly regroup. They rebuild. And uh, despite the fact that the Jewish people are no longer living in southern Israel, you still have a massive amount of Jews living in northern parts of Israel, in the Galilee, in Tiberias. Uh, that's where, they, in fact, they wrote the Mishnah. Uh, the Mishnah is the most significant um, uh, most significant compilation of, of laws in all of human history. Enormous, enormous project. That's a thousand rabbis over many, many, many years a collaboration unlike any other and if not for that one publication we would not be here today like that's how uh, uh, important and pivotal it is once again all, like every sentence to be its own class by the way to, all the details of what happened burning we it in Israel were in, 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 in Tiberius yes Tiberias? yes um but that's getting closer and closer to marking the point in time where the Jewish people were you know were the, the Jewish life in Israel was almost negligible like we said, at all points in time, the Jewish people were in Israel, they were living there. Um, there were some people living there, but the center of influence, and the center of leadership and central authority and the core, the epicenter of, uh, of the Jewish people moved on to Babylon. And they moved on to Babylon and Israel became uh, almost forgotten. And if you look at the, you know, from the year 234 hundred, nothing, we don't find anything in Israel. You know, a little bit. We still find the leftover stuff of, of, of the previous uh, groups of people that were living there. But Israel is kind of forsaken by everyone. Almost. Um, it's going to show up again in in, in world history uh, by the Muslims, like we said, in the 7th century. The Muslims come back and uh, they interpret one of the chapters, the 17th surah of, uh, of the Quran, when it says Al-Aqsa, which means the far place. They interpret that uh, one of the guys, I think his name was Omar, one of these emirs or one of these Muslim dudes, interprets an ambiguous word in in uh, in in the Quran as referring to Israel, Jerusalem. Uh, so when it says in the 17th chapter of uh, of the Quran that that uh, Muhammad one on his flying horse uh, El Baruch, to uh, the al aqsa which is a far place, he's flying on the horse. This isn't a dream, by the way. Sorry, I forgot to put it. Right? He has a dream that he went on the flying horse, and they went and they went up to heaven, and he met JC, and he met Musa, and he met Ibrahim, and they were chilling out and whatnot. <clears throat> that was determined later on, not determined, or invented later on, as referred to Israel. The amount of times that the world Jerusalem, or Israel, appear in the Quran is a grand total of zero. Uh, whilst in the, in the Torah, the Tanakh, which was codified a thousand years before Islam was even thought of as a religion. Uh, So the the, the, the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, was written and completed a thousand years before Islam ever shows up on the scene, mentions it 750 times. Israel. Israel and Jerusalem. Jerusalem specifically. 750. Israel even more than that. So during the Middle Ages, what was Israel? So like we said, Israel was the... uh, Was it Nothing. Israel was, like I said, it it was in the Jewish people's yearnings, it was in our prayers, it was in our thoughts, uh, it was part of our life as Jews. You know, half of the prayers that we do is about rebuilding Jerusalem and reinstituting the Davidic line, and that was the hope and the yearning of the Jewish people throughout the years. Who lived in Israel? From the Jewish perspective, almost no one. No one. Uh, there were some individuals that made these pilgrimages and we have these stories of great heroism. We have, uh, in like I said, in the Middle Ages, there was one major effort to go re-establish uh, a, a synagogue, the Ramban, Nachmanides. He moved to Israel. Uh, it seems like the Rambam Maimonides, also wanted to go to Israel but eventually ended up in Egypt and stayed there. Uh, it's a subject of great debate. What happened? Why did Maimonides not chose, choose to go to Israel?
1: I, I read a biography. Excuse me. I read a biography of Maimonides, and it said that in the biography that I read, that he did go there, but he found it to be kind of a, like a wasteland, and then he went to Egypt after that. And I don't. So know maybe
0: if he stopped off there. It's possible but that there, he stopped.
1: He didn't, he didn't want to stay. He
0: he did not yeah, stay. That's that's true. Like a, a, in a, fact, the Rambam is buried in Israel, and there's is some legends as to how he ended up there. Um, uh, not necessarily ones that are historical, but maybe the true, maybe they're not. Either way, he's buried in Israel, but he, he lived his life primarily from the age of 24 in, 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 uh, outside of Cairo um, in, in Egypt. Uh, but, but, the, but Ramban, he actually, um, he made it to Israel with a bunch of his students. And in fact, we have a, a synagogue in the old city of, Israel, uh, of Jerusalem called the Ramban Synagogue. And that, uh, that synagogue is uh, has been rebuilt several times, but it's subterranean. Why is it subterranean? In fact, all four of the ancient synagogues in the old city are subterranean, or underground, because the Muslims they had laws, they were they were in charge primarily over Israel uh, from that time period, from the time of 600 till, till you know primarily. Um, obviously, the Crusades that had back and forth and the slaughter, or whatever, whenever the, the 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 Muslims and the Christians are fighting over, there's always one guy stuck in the middle, and that's the Jews, and we don't fare very well uh, when that kind of clash happens. Uh, But either way, uh, the reason why that all the uh, old city synagogues are subterranean is because uh, Islam has laws for dimis. Dimi is like a protected class, D-H-I-M-M-I, I -I, I think is how it's spelled. And that is uh, monotheists, but not Muslims. So they're second-class citizens, but they're not quite as bad as pagans or or non-believers in monotheism. But one of the rules is, is that there in, in, in an Islamic world, in an Islamic country, an Islamic state, the Jewish synagogues have to be underground. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Uh, the next time we find a major migration to Israel, or at least a major temple in the, is in the 18th century. Uh, no, we have, I'm sorry, we have in the 16th century, we have the establishment of the major Jewish center in northern Israel, Sfat. So people like the Ariza, Rabbi Luria, People like the, um, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Cairo, right? It's called K-A-R-O or C-A-R-O. Um, also, a very fundamental, pivotal, crucial character in Jewish history. He lives in Israel, and that's uh, the germination of that, of that community. Uh, and then in the, in the 18th century, you have the Vilna Gaon, the Gondaville, the genius of Vilna. He sets out to go to Israel? And once again, another time where a great Jewish leader starts heading towards Israel, stops, turns around, no one has any idea why, and goes back to Vilna, which is either in Poland or in Belarus or Lithuania. Lithuania Depends. Lithuania, it's, right, it's always it's the, the most it's disputed. It's
1: war, right? Yes, right. It's yes disputed,
0: exactly. uh, disputed territory. Uh, so, um, and then we meet the Zionists. want we'll to talk about the Zionism a little bit. Um when, when was Akiva? Oh, Rabbi Akiva and his students. When were they there? Oh, they, Rabbi Akiva was there in the first and second century of the Covenant era. And his 24,000 people that we mourn and, now? That's right. That's when they were. Well, I, I don't know exactly when, but probably that was in the year, let's say in the 110s, 110s or 120s. Okay, so that's what we have now. That's why we grow beers and all of this. That's people. right. That's right. Look at that. I'm suffering every minute. (laughs) Uh, So, who means Zionism? Now, Zionism is very important to realize. Zionism is not a new idea. We just said, the idea of Jewish life in Israel is not... Abram had that idea, you know? Isaac, Jacob, Moses, it's not a new idea. Modern Zionism is uh, the modern effort to actually politically create that reality. But even that uh, was not first uh, done by the Zionists. There's, in fact, in the year 1825, there was a major effort to establish a Jewish state, but not in Israel. In fact, they were going to establish, where? Okay. Well, not in Madagascar either. We'll get to that, in Uganda. It was there, in fact. So why
1: would it you were there Nairobi? in 1825? Nairobi? No, no,
0: no, no. Um, it was Uganda, uh, but in in 1825, there was an effort to make a Jewish country, Jewish state, in the in 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 Grand Island, near Niagara Falls. Very interesting. Yeah, Google it. It's there. You so much stuff. So weird, right? Uh, but um, we we meet. Uh, a lot, a few things happen. Uh, in the 19th century, in the 1800s, that are, are all going to come together in the end of that century to create modern Zionism. First of all, the 19th century was, in my opinion, the worst century in all of Jewish history. The worst. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, the 20th was also pretty bad. <laughs> uh, but I would argue that the 20th is leftovers from the 19th. The writing was on the wall in the 19th century. In fact, you have a quarter million Jews in the 19th century um, uh, co- uh, converting to Christianity. Unheard of. Unheard of. Uh, you... Well, not in Spain. In, in France, and Germany, and in all these places. Spain wasn't the center of Jewish life already for hundreds of years, right? Spanish Inquisition is in, what, uh, 1492. Um, so that's really a long time. The, 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 the golden age of Spain, uh, of Spain is from the year 800 to the year, the year 1200. Maimonides, remember, he lived in he lived in Spain, but he left, but he left the year 1150 because of the of the Almohads, the mm-hmm. the Almohads, the radical Muslims that came at that time, and they told the Jews, okay, you could stay, and become Muslim, you could stay, and we'll kill you, or you could leave, and you have like a half hour to choose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. pretty crazy. How, how, like, how is that different
0: today? It is pretty. It's pretty crazy. So Maimonides and his family said, Maimonides was 15 years old. They went uh, to first Fez in Morocco, and then they ended up spending time in the Atlas Mountains for nine years in, in northern Morocco. And then they went, and at the age of 24, Maimonides ends up in Egypt, and after he lived for the, rest of, for the rest of his life, until the year 1204, when he died at the age of 69. Either way, um, so Zionism. So we have uh, the 19th century caused assimilation on a scale and a, a, rip, rip, uh, a rapid rate beyond anything we can even imagine. We think of today, well, there's so much assimilation and so many Jews that are so disengaged from Judaism and so much disassociation, and no one made the kids aren't becoming members and whatnot. We can't fathom what was happening in, uh, in, 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 in Europe in the 19th century. It was so much worse than it is today. It was terrible. And in fact, today, I would argue that the assimilation is more the product of, uh, of ignorance and apathy versus the way it was of, 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 of being anti or being a uh, rebellion, so to speak, against, uh, against uh, a Jewish uh, precepts that were accepted uh, for thousands of years. If they didn't assimilate, would they have been expelled? I don't know, that's Ew. a hypothetical, I don't know, I, am a, I don't think I have the tools to answer that question. However, once again, we do find patterns, <laughs> we do find patterns that, uh, that have repeated themselves again and again. So, it's a good argument to say that when the Jewish people are doing what they need to be doing, uh, then we'll be in good hands. And we find that, like we said, we talked about Spain, you know, two three hundred years of just absolute, you know, it's called the Golden Age of Spain for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's not called the Silver Age or the Bronze Age. The Golden Age... Why? Because the people there had it all. They had the political, uh, the, the political recognition. They had strong and centralized authority. They had uh, commitment to Torah and to Torah values, and that's why they had they flourished. You know that that's what happens, um, uh, and I, I think that's going to happen in Israel again. I, uh, this is part of what I wanted to say tonight: how um, how Israel is kind of collecting the pieces of what was left of the Jewish people. Modern state of Israel. So, 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 what's the form? What's the story about the formation of the uh, of the state? So then we know the backstory of Herzl. So Herzl, this guy is uh, totally assimilated. We can't imagine how distant he is from Judaism. Right. In fact, they found in Herzl's diaries in the year eighteen ninety. So the first Zionist Congress is the year 1890? two seven in Basel, Switzerland. Okay. Good guess. Not bad. So a mere seven years before Herzl convenes this massive convention, Jews from all across the world heard about it and galvanized the Jewish people. Right? Let's commit to, to, build, to building a state. He writes a book called Der Judenstadt, right? the Jewish state. And he says, after this conference in Basel, he says, we built the Jewish state. That might not happen now, but for sure in 50 years. And in fact, 51 years later, this state was announced. Right? Seven years later, what was he writing in his diary, Herzl? Herzl wrote as follows. Herzl says that the solution to the quote-unquote Jewish problem is mass conversion to Christianity. And he describes, he describes, let's make parades, let's invite all the princes and noblemen of Europe, and let's have a fancy ceremony. That's what he wrote in his diaries. Which is, yo, what? This is the guy? This is the profile of the savior, so not the savior, of course, I one to argue that he's the savior, but this is the guy who's going to unite the Jewish people. Really? Really? This is what it looks like? You would think. But once again, we find again, very surprising. And in hindsight, yes, he did. Kind of. he, uh, you can't argue, argue that point. He kind of did. And he invested his entire life. He died at the age of 44, right? Penniless. And out of. Why? Why did he die? You know why he died? Hard work. That's the only reason why he died. Hard work. He gave his life up to build Israel, build Zionism. But out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he couldn't speak Hebrew. He didn't know, he didn't keep a single mitzvah. He probably never saw his life a tefillin. No Nothing. Nothing. In fact, he proposed that the official language of the state of Israel should be German. German that's right. He had this utopian vision of what Israel's going to be like to be like fancy ladies, and then was to be strolling around drinking coffee. Like, he had this vision of what it's going to be, the, this wonderful state of Israel. Uh, and in fact, we find that he wasn't even thinking about Israel. He was thinking any state. give us Madagascar, you said, but he wanted Uganda. In fact, Herzl threatened the year 1904. Herzl because uh, so what happened was is that the, uh, the governments of Europe offered to Herzl would we'll give you a massive tract of land in, in, uh, in Africa. Or Uganda, okay. which is in, uh, in, in uh, Western Kenya. Oh, we would have been great there. And <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: this is, it's empty <laughs> land, it's <Yeah>. fertile <laughs> land, you guys could go, and enormous. Oh, yeah. world, and he's like, hey, that's an amazing idea. Oh, yeah. And he's like, okay, check, it's a big land, it's empty now, well, we could go there and build our own, it'd be great. Because uh, in his head, he wasn't thinking at all about Israel, and he wasn't thinking about the 2,000 year old yearning to once again go back to Israel. That's what he was thinking about. Um, and, in fact, when they brought it up to the Congress, and he was all alone, basically, it was him and Max Nordau, that's it, uh, he threatened to quit. He said, I'm out. If you guys don't accept, I'm out. Yeah. But in the, remember, 1905, he's dead already, and Zionism takes life on its own. So, I'm confused. He writes in his diary that the best thing the Jews can do is convert. Well, in, ni- in the 1890. <laughs> That's right, he oh, made the proposition, he, he advocated.
1: Sees
0: the light? Uh, we don't know what happened, we don't even know, remember, we don't even know if his wife was Jewish, we have no idea, uh, there's doubts whether his wife is Jewish, he didn't give his kid a bris, he didn't give his kid a bar mitzvah, like nothing, he wasn't, he wasn't
1: He's held in such high Because
0: well, of what he regard. did, Means, but how did he start Sorry. off? It's, 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 uh, it's a fact, it a it's a fact that despite the fact that Herzl himself had a Britz Mila, of course, and had a bar mitzvah, his own son, Hans, had neither. And his, uh, his son, in fact, this Hans guy, uh, converted to Christianity. You know that? And then he went back to Judaism, and then he, he committed suicide. Uh, and his daughter, his daughter died in the camps, in, in, in the Holocaust, and his only grandson um, also converted to Christianity, and also uh, committed suicide in Washington, D.C., in 1946. So, by the time... This is a very tragic epilogue to the story, but by the time uh, the state of, modern state of Israel is 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 established, none of Herzl's descendants are... They're all dead. They're, they're all gone, and, and it's just a really bad epilogue. Uh, but, you know, like we said, uh, Herzl's this incredible character, his great intelligence, his great charisma, he was... Uh, you know, his energy, he's handsome, very tall, very beautiful. That's a massive beard. I don't know what's the deal with the beard, but, but he had this massive, massive beard. But part of the intelligentsia, but nothing to do with what we would consider to be traditional Judaism. And he proposes this idea. It takes on, uh, of course, the, the backstory we know, the Dreyfus Affair. He was a, he was a journalist uh, in France, and he was sent, uh, he was sent to uh, cover the Dreyfus Affair. And he realized that there's no place for the Jewish people in Europe. Uh, You know, Dreyfus was a a Jewish uh, captain who was accused, wrongly accused, and fabricated evidence for documents and whatnot that he traded uh, secrets to Germany. He was paraded through the town, and it was between death of the Jews. Like, this massive controversy swept all of Europe. Uh, And he's there, he's like, What's the deal? Like, we tried to assimilate and we tried to be like the Gentiles. And look, the parade of the Jew, death of the Jew, what's the deal? Uh, So he came up with the idea that said that we cannot cannot exist or coexist in other people's lands. We have to have our own. That was the idea, writes the book. The idea takes on a life of its own. It spreads like wildfire. And we find that Zionism at the beginning had two vastly different camps uh, behind the idea. You had the traditional Jews. The Jews that prayed every day, the Jews that um, were not part of the intelligentsia of Europe, but the 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 decent, the honest, the peasants even of 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 Europe, the Jews that were you know that had the traditional perspective on Israel and and, and rebuilding the temple and all these vast ideas that are part of Jewish thought for, for for millennia. That's one faction, you know, and they had a hard time. There was this tension because you see, Herzl's the leader, like, dude, the guy doesn't. Even he doesn't even know like anything. Like can really he? Like and this is the guy. And In fact, Herzl kind of liked these guys. He called them his army of schnorrers. That was the name that he had for the for those Jews, the Eastern European Jews, that just wanted to go back to to Israel. And then he had, uh, and then he had, um, and then he had the you know the secular Jews that were totally secular. Uh, that were um, that were also behind it, but for different reasons, more like Herzl's, like, let's have a state, let's be totally, uh, let it be totally independent of any kind of the traditional perspective of a Jewish state. But those two factions, if we look at what exists today in Israel, you know, we have, we just had elections, you know, we could kind of see that those two factions still really exist. You know, the religious Zionists are talking about uh, having all of Israel, not giving up a single inch. Why? Why? Why are they like that? Because they are living with the kind of almost messianic vision of what Israel ought to be. We're taking back our land. You know, it's not just about having a convenient place where all the Jews can live. It's our land. You know, let us build our land out. You know, why should we give it away to, 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 to the Arabs? And then you have the, uh, the people that are not attached to Israel in the same uh, uh, religious sense, if you will, but more uh, in a more nationalistic stance. So that would have, they would argue, hey, it's more pragmatic to, to, to maybe negotiate on something like that. And for the other camp, well, that's non-negotiable. That's, this is Israel. We can't negotiate for Israel. So kind of um, those, two, uh, those two groups, um, they united under one banner. And even though there was and still is tension, I like to look at Israel as being sweeping all the Jews from all different groups and all different backgrounds under one banner. Um, uh, originally, the there were also two different groups of anti-Zionists. Uh, the early Reform Jews in, in in France and Germany and the United States were very very anti-Zionism, uh, because Zionism conflicted with a core precept, a core tenet of 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 early Reform philosophy. In fact, in in nineteen in sorry eighteen eighty five, the Pittsburgh Platform was a articulation of what it means to be a Reformed Jew. And it says as follows here, uh, quotes, this is a direct quote, it was written in English, uh, and it was accepted by all the Reformed communities, all Reformed Judaisms. Uh, obviously this was adapted, this was changed, but, but this, you know, just reading this little piece will tell you about what the attitude was of the Reformed Jews. Quote, we consider, ourselves no longer, we consider ourselves no longer a nation but a religious community, and therefore expect neither a return to Palestine, nor a sacrif- sacrificial worship under the sons of Aaron, nor the restoration of any of the laws concerning the Jewish state. Okay. This was a repudiation of the Jewish principle, Jewish tradition of going back to Israel. So what happens? A mere 12 years after this declaration uh, by uh, the Convention of Reform Rabbis in the United States, Zionism is born. There's movement to go back to Israel. They said, no, "No, no, 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 no. That's not. That's against. That's anti-Jew. That's anti-Jewish. Which is ironic, I guess, in hindsight. But that was the argument. And in fact, in Houston, you know, in in in, in 1944. So years and years later, uh, we have a split between Bethel and, and Emmanuel, the two major Reform synagogues here. Beth Israel, uh, right? Um, but what did Beth I say? Beth Israel. What did I say? Bethel. Bethel. I apologize. Bethel. We're in Bethel right now. Beth was Israel and Emmanuel. It was forty-four. I think it was forty-four. Maybe, maybe it was forty-three, mm-hmm. and that was a split over support of Zionism. Mm-hmm. It means even as late as the 40, 40s, How do you know this? huh? Mm-hmm. How do you know this? It's common knowledge.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you can read about it. It's read about it online even. Do
1: people know about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Wow. It's very interesting that 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 was one of the groups that at least originally, Of course, they changed it. We have the Columbus Platform in nineteen thirty-seven. Which changed that the entire perspective. But originally, when Zionism started, that was the the reform that those-minded people. Um, the reform, reform today, reform then, is very different. Of course, very important to realize that. Uh, but they um, they were against Zionism. And additionally, you had the super-religious Jews, the super-orthodox Jews, that they were also against it. Once again, uh, unlikely uh, unlikely uh, bedmates. What do they say? Uh, yeah. Bedfellows. Yeah. Bedfellows. bedfellows, strange bedfellows, thank you, um, uh, wherein they were too worried that uh, they were, or the religious anti-Zionism was based on the fact that, okay, we're going to build a state, what kind of state? Is it going to be a Jewish state with Jewish law and halakha and Shabbat and everything? Or is it going to be a secular state? Well, if it's going to be a secular state, according to those people, well, then they we're better off not having it. Let's live in Europe, let's live in the United States, let's live wherever. Mm-hmm. You know, because to them the idea of rebuilding Israel and and rebuilding this Jewish state, but not in the way that it's supposed to be ideally, well, that's anathema. So that group was also anti-Zaz. But I think today, if we, if we look, you know, fast forward one hundred years, one hundred years later, everyone pretty much is all Jews, pretty much across all factions, even Jews that are not affiliated with anything support Israel. You have obviously exceptions. You have, unfortunately, a trend amongst young Jews, young assimilated Jews, to be uh, anti, anti-Israel. anti How can you be anti-Israel?
1: Oh, they are. Because that is be so heartbreaking, but I have heard it. Can't they call themselves
0: anti-Science? Yeah, of course. You have, like, that J Street group. J oh, yeah. Streets. Yeah, so that's uh, political, political, political Jewish. I
1: never heard of it.
0: Yeah. So, you have some of that, but I, I think that's still in the minority. You, of course, have those crazy lunatics that go and kiss Ahmadinejad, those uh, people that think that, that, I that they're. Don't know. I don't get that. Those, those are lunatics. Absolute I think, lunatics. I those lunatics. felt that way because they didn't want a yeah. the Right, so that's what it's based on, but still, you don't go kiss they enemies. Don't. Yeah. Even the, even the people today that are anti Zionism because of religious ideals. Mm-hmm the overwhelming majority, ninety nine point nine percent of them, don't conspire with the enemy. No. Like, even if you don't support Israel, because of, you know, you have religious problems with Israel, the way it is currently constructed, you know, okay, but doesn't mean you go fraternize with Arafat no. and go don't, don't be part of his cabinet. Those, those those are real, absolute lunatics. Well, I am
1: not and sure about it. I'm not I met some people who think that we
0: are apartheid. We're what? Apartheid? Oh,
1: apartheid.
0: Yeah, but that that's also, they're not... They
1: are very, very much against whatever
0: Netanyahu was trying to do. Yeah, but th- th- those people, I, I'm saying no offense to them, but those people are not, they are not familiar with the definitions and the realities. Uh, most of them probably never actually were in Israel, mm-hmm. don't know the realities. How can you say it's an apartheid state when you're 13... Arab MKs Khafret Knesset it's insane to say that Besides, I think they are following a bit the left yes 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 side. it's yes it's so but either way they, those those are minorities seriously. those are minorities today i look at israel as once again even though slowly you know we're 67 years in today's the 67th anniversary of israel i look at it as slowly means it's a process yes this is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecies in Deuteronomy I'm going to bring you back to Israel from the four corners of the world. This is it. Think about it. 67 years ago today, formation of the State of Israel, there were 600,000 Jews in Israel. That's it. Today, there's 6 million Jews. A a, a tenfold increase. Slowly, it's taking some time, but there's a consolidation now. The biggest community in the world of Jews is in Israel. and, and yes, there's still friction between different factions. There's still disagreements about various areas. And it, is it ideal? No. But it's moving very, very, not rapidly, but, but, uh, but slowly but surely, it is getting closer and closer, in my opinion, to what it, uh, to what it, uh, it should look like, where there's unity, where there's appreciation of, of, the, of the role that Israel has to play, of the nature of the Jewish state in what it's supposed to be, it's slowly coming together. And I think it's important for us to celebrate that, because as we know, our rights to Israel, and we do have rights to it, however they're limited, they're contingent upon us being a certain quality of a nation, living with each other in a certain way, right? being harmonious, right? being united, and being united and being united under, under the banner of what it means to be a Jew. Of, 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 of the responsibilities that come with Jewish people living in Israel. And I, 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 I think that we have room to grow, but I think we've come a very long way since the formation of the Zionist ideas and the radically different uh, factions that are pro- propelled from different angles the state in into existence. And you know what? I think we'd be very appreciative of it. You know, it's, it's, it's something that maybe we take for granted. Uh, hopefully we don't. But today, today, today is the day to be appreciative of the fact that we know we have a state, it's our state, we may be living here, our heart's in Israel, right, we, 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 should, we, we have to support Israel, and, you know, eventually maybe even consider, you know, we should all go home maybe, you know, and it's, it's, it's actually also another pattern, remember, Ezra leads the group, uh, we said after the first temple destroyed, everyone goes to, to Babylon, The vast majority of them stay in Babylon 70 years later when Ezra comes and reestablishes the Jewish community in Israel. It's almost identical that 5% of the Jewish people came back to Israel with Ezra and about 5% of the Jewish people were there at the beginning of the foundation of the state of Israel. But now, like we said, the vast majority, not the vast majority, but the biggest community of of, of Jews, probably around 40% of, of, of world Jewry, Already lives in Israel, so I, I think that we're well on our way towards hopefully uh, doing what we need to do with collectivization to coming to that pinnacle, to that reality of the Jewish people observing the Torah, right? F- having the uh, appreciation and the and a- 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 the realization and the identity of the Jewish people in their uh, in their uh, most perfect sense, living in Israel, having harmony and unity. Alexandra. Okay. Great, yeah. class. Great, great class. class. Yeah. So my grandfather, great grandfather,
1: in 1924, yeah. who had come to the United States from Ukraine. Uh, when did they come? 1910. Mm-hmm. Lived in, in New York, 14 years. Wanted to go to Israel. So the mother refers to his wife's his mother. She wouldn't go. So he went down one morning to get milk. Never came back. And he never came back. And he lived in Israel. I have three pictures of him. He lived in Meshari. Meshari.
0: That was one of the oldest Jewish communities. Three,
1: three pictures of him. It was Korah.
0: Wow.
1: Oh. I mean, he, he lived in poverty. He always asked, asked the sons, my. My grandfather and his and his brother
0: wow. he was from on eight. and he lived there until uh, thirty eight or thirty nine. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Meshirim is one of the oldest uh, uh, communities. It was Mesurim, the communities Mesurim, founded Mesurim, in the Mesurim. in the, in the it, you very it. observant, but, very, but they're yes. called like the Jerusalem, like the like the eight eight nine generations of of of, of, of you called the mm-hmm. that have been living there. Very distinct clothing, like they have. They've been there. Uh, very it's beautiful. Very beautiful, like, like these brown, like cloaks, and like or these uh, the ones, like the ones with the stripes, and the white ones, on, on the holiday, it's beautiful. Like have these beautiful clothing, like it's you know, it's not like the like the heavy, you know, like the looks like uncomfortable. It's like really nice, and you know, um, but um, but that's, that that community has been around since the 1700s, continually living there. And you walk through these alleys, and you can touch both sides, both house both sides of the street, like mm-hmm. these cobblestone alleys that have been like that, and the it's like people being in, the, in the old cities, like that. Right? Yeah, old city as well. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, guys, we have a lot to be thankful for on this day. Thank you, everyone, guys.